I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of Talk Worthy to Me for 2022. I'm your host, Jordana Levine. I hope you had a beautiful festive season and had lots of free time to catch up on all the books that you were dying to read. I admittedly didn't read it all. I know it's totally off brand for me and super disappointing, but I am currently halfway through Love and Desire by Diana Reed, and so far I'm really, really enjoying it. Today's episode, though, is with co-authors Ali Burge and Michelle Callis, and we discuss their new book, Fancy meeting you here. This book was so fun to read. It's a really easy to read rom-com. It's got a little bit of magic realism to it, but it's super modern. It hits on a lot of current topics and I think you're going to love it. Here is the back cover blurb. Evie Berry is a 30-year-old wannabe screenwriter who spends her days managing a London cinema bar and making the podcast Pasta La Vista with her best friend Ben. She's also obsessed with Hugo Hurst. Have you heard of him? Of course you have. He's only one of the most influential and not to mention swoon-worthy best-selling writers of his generation. When Evie's not hooking up with her on-again, off-again booty call, ever-ready Freddy, and sometimes even when she is, she fantasizes about what might have been if she'd met Hugo years ago, when he was just a struggling writer. After Evie interviews a psychic to the stars on her podcast, her life is catapulted 10 years into the past, but the grass isn't quite as green as she remembers. I found this chat with Ali and Michelle fantastic from a reader's perspective because we do dive into some of the anecdotes behind the novel and how they got included, but it's super fascinating from a writer's perspective because of the fact that they're co-authors and this is the third book that they've written together. And for me as a writer, I mean, the idea of sharing the writing process with someone absolutely blows my mind, but they do it seamlessly. The voice and the tone the whole way through the book is exactly the same. Um, in fact, that's where this conversation kicks off. So please enjoy this interview with co-authors of Fancy Meeting You here, Ali and Michelle. I guess the place that I really want to start as a writer is talking about the fact that you are co-authors because the thought of that blows my mind and you must get that all the time. <laughs> but as someone who's such a control freak, the idea of sharing the writing process with someone just seems outrageous. So can you kind of walk me through, I guess, how it started that you guys started writing together? And then we'll talk a little bit about what that process looks like. Ali and I, we started a um, community project called Books on the Rail in about 2016 now. And for that, we put books out on public transport for people to find, uh, to read, and then return to somebody else to discover. 
Um, and that sort of launched us into um, this other side of this bookish world that we've always um, admired from behind, I guess, and that's behind the scenes of dealing with publishers and authors directly. Um, and we were really fortunate to work closely with a number of fantastic um, Australian authors and, and publishers to promote their books on, on Books on the Rail. And it was kind of by just chance that we had a chat with um, who would soon become a publisher for our first two books. And we pitched this idea that we had for our first novel, which was kind of loosely based on Books on the Rail, which was... Um, that we really hoped that somebody would find love through finding some of our books on, on transport. When that wasn't happening, we decided we should just write the book. Um, so that was a pretty amazing way to um, get our first publishing deal, a little bit more unconventional um, than, than the usual routes. So it was that, that's how we came to start writing together. And it was sort of this um, pipe dream that Ali and I had always had, but didn't actually um, imagine it would be coming to fruition. I know when we were doing the pitching process, I was very lacklustre in my commitment to this pitching process because I was like, there's no way we're ever going to get a, a book deal. <laughs> I feel terrible. Ali was very much <laughs> carrying carrying the, the weight with it. Um, but yeah, we were we were lucky. I think we had a what um, we perhaps didn't realise at the time was a great idea that um, would resonate with readers. So that's how we fell into the publishing world. I just want to talk about Books on the Rail for a minute because it is such an amazing concept. Where did you guys come up with that? So we came up with it um, in 2016. We founded it. Um, I was actually living in London um, for 2014 and 2015 and I worked with a girl called Holly who started Books on the Underground, which is a very similar concept in London. And I thought it was such an Australian idea. I feel like it's such a like, yeah. unique niche idea that that everyone would get on board. So I brought it back in 2016 and, and thought that the perfect person to start it with me would be Mish um, because we both have loved books um, and have sort of had this this bookish friendship um since we were really little we've been bonded over yeah um harry potter tomorrow when the war began and then when we got older oh, a whole lot of other classics books. exactly <laughs> um <laughs> uh yeah and then um and then we sort of um uh, we started it just thinking that we would yeah it, no one would really get on board and it would just be us putting our own books on public transport and then um publishers got wind of it and started sending us boxes of books and then yeah now we've got oh. ten thousand books in circulation and over a thousand book ninjas is what we call them who plant books on public transport so what's the idea you just kind of leave it on the seat as you hop off the train or the bus yeah so it's got a big sticker on it that says take me read me and return me for someone else to find and yeah you can put it on the train on the bus on the ferry people do in sydney on the plane (laughs) so yeah and yeah you just sort of leave it like a ninja which is why we call we call ourselves book ninjas and which is why our first book is called the book ninja yeah um but yeah we just leave it on you just leave it for someone else to find on on a bench or wherever you anywhere on public transport it's quite loose the rules but yeah people we found yeah. we usually tracked actually on instagram people will upload that they found a book and then someone else has dropped it and they found it and people connect that way which is really nice as well yeah that's amazing have you heard of some you know like you were saying before Mish that you were hoping that people would find love through the through the book rail initiative have you heard stories of people like meeting people or relationships forming whether they're platonic or romantic yeah so we have a online community um so you can follow the trails of the book on um, books on the rail 
um, on Instagram and on Facebook. And through the hashtag, we've seen a lot of the books that are being dropped by other people who have joined in. So there are book ninjas and they put up their own books out on public transport with our, our sticker. Um, and that allows us to see where the books are sort of going. And we've had some amazing stories of people finding books. Um, some of the great stories we love, you know, people who haven't picked up a book since they were at school or people who have discovered a new genre um, that they would never usually um, gravitate towards. And yeah, there are a few, we've had like a few books on the round, different events um, over the years. And um, it's been amazing seeing people create their own little book clubs that sort of come off, off it. And so definitely lots of friendships have, have evolved from Books on the Rail, which is amazing and wonderful to be a part of. So yeah, we, we love tracking the books oh, online. Okay, so I'm going to get back to where we were before I interrupted you and took you back to Books on the Rails. You <laughs> pitched the idea to your public to to our publisher had you guys sat down and actually written together at this point or was it just the idea of of course we could we'd never sat down together and written together um, at all really I mean we'd been we'd been running books on the rail but sort of so working together in some capacity but definitely not writing definitely not writing a full 380 page fiction book um but um but yeah we just sort of winged it um as they say uh when you're an artist well if you are sort of creative you just sort of say yes to things and then figure out how to do it later Um, (laughs) but yeah um we we sort of um yeah we pitched it just as a loose idea saying we have this idea that at, at a coffee we just said we have this cool idea for a rom-com very loosely and then they sort of were like oh we love it and we were completely shocked at each step that firstly they loved it but then they took it to the pitch meeting we thought it would get that far and then that they actually apparently unanimously said that they were happy to sort of um publish it we were completely shocked at each step <laughs> but um yeah, but very are. very happy and then um yeah and then we actually had to figure out how the hell to write together um <laughs> which we had no idea how to do we can we sort of have written separately um a little bit but but never together and it's completely different um different kettle of fish so talk me through it how did it start were there hiccups I'm sure there were <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely a lot of trial and error at the beginning. Um, we worked out pretty quickly that we didn't have time to write sort of side by side with each other, which is something that we talked loosely about. And we also had an idea in our first book. Um, there are some chapters within it that are in blog form. So we thought maybe one of us could do that, but there weren't nearly as many blogs as chapters. So that sort of workload just wasn't a fair share. Um, so we realised that what we had to do was just really nut out the book chapter by chapter really finesse the characters who they were what we wanted um, their stories to look like and then we divvied up the chapters um, and sort of wrote one each Um, and then the great thing about having a co-writer is you have this inbuilt editor so we spend a lot of time reading back over each other's work um, discovering the story for the first time through the other person's eyes which is always a lot of fun um, getting to imagine how how they've seen the story um, so that back and forth editing sort of creates um, a little bit of each of us in all of those chapters and over the three books uh, we sort of created this whole new voice yeah. that's a little bit of myself a little bit of Ali it's been pretty miraculous really that we have created this new um, tone together um, you know now when I go back I can't figure out who wrote what I'm, 
there are some key chapters that I remember, but um, to the most part, I had no idea who, who wrote it, whether it was Ali or I. And I think we spent so much time um, going back over each other's work and, and reading it. But that's incredible as the reader as well. You know, the, like you said, the, the voice and the tone the whole way through is so clear and strong and it's not sort of jumping back and forth. I mean, as the reader, you definitely can't tell that there's two people writing it, but it's so interesting to know that you guys struggle to remember as well because, yeah, it is such a clear voice. Did you have to sit down and decide what that voice was going to be, what that tone was going to be, or was it something just sort of naturally occurred as you started writing? I think it was a bit more organic that it naturally occurred, but I think we did at the start have slightly different tone of voices. Now I don't even know how to go back to my own original voice, but um, (laughs) but I think that we, yeah, we did sort of have maybe slightly different voices and there is definitely things that we're stronger at. I think that Mish is definitely stronger at description and she can describe a room or a street and make it sound magical and amazing and that is definitely my weakness. Um, And I like writing dialogue a lot more and then I think... um, so I think sort of putting them those strengths together um, and weaknesses together sort of um, helped helped <laughs> to form some yeah a tone. But yeah, we sort of I think it did sort of develop as as we went um, and yeah and and eventually we we created this this person called Ali and Michelle. Yeah, is that is that one long word, Ali and Michelle? Yes, <laughs> yeah, one breath. I love it. A lot of the authors that I speak to that write fiction say that this, the plot line that they started with isn't always the plot line that they finish with. Um, I imagine with you guys, though, and maybe I'm wrong, so correct me, that you have to be pretty clear on what that plot line is from the beginning so that you're hitting points as you're, as you're writing separately. Is that how it works or do you find yourself sort of pivoting halfway through when something's not quite working out how you planned so our our plot map is definitely our bible because it's not unusual for one of us to be writing a chapter that comes after another chapter that doesn't even exist yet depending on who gets there first um so we definitely have to spend a lot of time plot mapping but oh absolutely I mean the structure of the very first draft compared to the structure at the end definitely evolves um I, I think we probably nail like the big sort of milestones in the book um, but the characters evolve a lot. Um, I think, in fact, in this book, um, the screen, um, Evie's screenwriting passion wasn't even in the first, um, I don't think that was in the first draft. So oh, wow. It's such a big part of the book. A huge part of the book. And when we were writing it, when we figured out that we needed this extra element to her, like it made no sense that it, it didn't exist in the yeah. first one. But I think that's probably what evolves the in order to create really authentic characters and authentic journeys, um, we realise we have to add in extra little plot points. Um, so that definitely um, evolves as, as the story goes on. Yeah. And how often are you guys checking back in with each other, perhaps reading what each other's written? Like is that something that happens daily, weekly? You know, what, what's the process there? So we'll probably speak to each other probably every five minutes during the day, <laughs> day <and night. laughs> but, but that can be a text 
or we work on a Google Doc, so a comment in a Google Doc being like, I hate this or I love this. Um, but, but we, I think it really changed because like everything did, it changed dramatically over COVID. Um, our first book, our first and second book, we did lots of writing together. So we would even go away together for the weekend and write and spend hours and hours writing together. We would spend a lot of the weekends when we were doing heavy writing periods, just spending full 10-hour days writing together. And then with COVID, we wrote most of the book separately. Um, So I think it was sort of, it had to rely a lot on us texting. And we also weren't together at the same time. And and also during that stage, we had different schedules. We both worked full-time, but um, Mish was working full-time as a primary school teacher and I was on maternity leave. So I was probably working more during the night time when my husband was home and Mish was, and yeah, we were all work, we were working at different times. And um, so we sort of had to rely on, on texting each other and getting back to each other when we could. So it was a different process, but, but still, we were still talking as much as we, as, as much as we could via, usually via text or WhatsApp or email or all of the above. All of the above. I love it. <laughs> Do you guys use Voxer? Do you ever use like voicemail messaging? Uh, yeah. Uh... Yeah, a lot of a lot of voice notes. That's yeah, that's my favorite yeah. form yeah. of communication. But then there's no evidence of it, which is really hard when you're trying yes. to find <laughs> where it was written. I want yeah. to talk about fancy meeting you here. I always say when I'm doing these podcast episodes, it's really hard to talk about someone else's book without ruining the plot line because I'm not allowed to spoil it for the people that haven't read it yet. So would you guys, maybe one of you, whoever you'd like, sort of give us a little synopsis of what the book's about? We also find it very hard to explain our (laughs) books because, (laughs) yeah, you don't want to give too much away. Um, So, yes, definitely. Well, Fancy Meeting You Here is, I think it's been one of, it's been my favourite book to write of all three of them. Um, I've really fallen in love with the characters and and the scene. Uh, So it is a sort of an unconventional love story about a young woman called Evie Berry who's in just turned 30 um, and is sort of looking back at her last 10 years thinking what has she achieved she's got a screenplay that she started working on in her early 20s in her early 20s and hasn't um, gotten much done of it she's got terrible writer's block um, so she's sort of this struggling creative with um uh yeah this great frustration with her her own abilities and um, doubt in herself um, she is best friends with somebody by the name of Ben Feldman, who she has a podcast with called Pasta La Vista, and they talk about um, film and interview actors and directors and producers, and that's sort of her c- creative outlet. But her main job is working at the cinema, which um, is comfortable but not not satisfying. Um, and then, sort of overshadowing her whole existence is this love affair that she has with um, this famous author, actor, philanthropist, he does it all, um, Hugo Hurst. And she just can't get over the fact that if perhaps they'd met 10 years ago when he was not fa- not yet famous, that they could have had a really beautiful life together. So for the podcast, she happens to go and interview a psychic to the stars and somehow finds herself propelled back in time to <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> and she has a chance to redo her 20s, which sounds wonderful and exciting, but is also pretty tricky. Um, but she does, in fact, meet Hugo Hurst and goes on um, an adventure, I guess, of sorts with him. 
And then I think that's probably where to yeah, leave it. Yeah, I was going to say too much that's away. A lot of information. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that you told that because I would have told way less than that, and probably wouldn't have excited people as much. I want to ask you a few things about what you've just said. The first thing is this idea of Evie going back ten years. I guess there's a sense of what we call sort of magic realism in the book. I think you guys nailed it because I think it's really hard sometimes to put in a concept that doesn't really have any, uh, you know, tangible real world kind of footing and make it not seem completely ludicrous that it's happened. Was that was that a tricky kind of plot point to write without it seeming too weird? It was, and we had never written uh, magic realism or time travel before at all. Um, we'd always written yeah books set in the current day and there was no magic or fantasy or anything about them and we didn't want to veer into the fantasy realm we still really wanted to be contemporary women's fiction or romantic comedy um and I think we did yeah a few people our agent was like oh I don't usually like time travel but I like this but yeah I think a lot of people are like they don't I think a lot of people were were hesitant about time travel but then um sort of discovered that it was the same yeah contemporary fiction and contemporary style that we that we usually write in um but we just really wanted to add that element we think I mean especially for today's day and age it's was so cathartic to travel 10 years into the past and to sort of explore what things were like before all the craziness of the world happened today hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters May 17th you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, And yeah, I think it was it was really nice to write and and still and still maintain our our voice but with a with a 10 year in the past um glance at back back at yeah 10 years ago it's funny isn't it because 10 years really doesn't feel like a a a long timeline but you can see as you progress through the book there's certain topics that are raised where you realize how far we've come in 10 years especially when it comes to things um there's a there's a few comments sort of around the me too movement and i guess you know the way um you know men are talking to women and what women are capable of these days and all those sorts of things and it's really it's really not that far in the past that it wasn't like that and it's really highlighted in the book so you did that really well i want to talk to you guys about you probably get this question a lot but if you were in Evie's position, if you had gone back to your early 20s, what things do you think you guys might try and do differently? It was definitely very cathartic, sort of reflecting on the 20s through through Evie. Um, and Alice and I have talked a lot about it. I think we're, we're quite fortunate that we don't have sort of major regrets um, or major things that we would overhaul. Um, you know, I certainly pivoted with my career. I sort of was beginning, I studied media and then went into teaching and then somehow find myself um, writing later on. Um, so I think we sort of wanted to look back on the 20s and see it as this really frivolous time in our life. You know, it's a time when we're not really tied down. It's, 
um, our responsibilities are low like there aren't too many things that Ali and I had to be worried about and responsible for we were very lucky in that respect um, but it's also a time where you're making these huge decisions you know what will your career path be what are you going to study what's that going to look like um, in the future so I think it's a time of yeah big decisions which can be really hard and especially when you feel like a young person with very little experience of the world um, I think that was something we wanted to highlight through EB is the 20s are fun, but yeah, they've, they've got a lot of big decisions that you have to make during that time. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked that Evie um, tried to hack a few things, which was quite clever on her behalf. There was, I think there was the example of some popcorn that had gone, is it, was it popcorn? That had gone yeah. out of, um, yeah. <laughs> they weren't making it anymore. And she's like, maybe yeah. people weren't buying it enough. I better eat more of it and buy more of it. I mean, that's clever. I respect that. that. <laughs> that actually stemmed from Mish and I love, um, there was a brand called Basil and Tomato, or the brand was Parker's Pretzels, and there was a Basil and Tomato oh, flavour. Yeah. And they stopped selling them about 10 years ago, and Mish and I um, actually made a Facebook page saying, bring back Basil and Tomato Parker's Pretzels. They were like a staple diet of ours, and we used to eat them constantly, and then we thought, yeah, if we went back 10 years in the past, that would be one thing that we would do, stock, stock up on, on Parker's basil and tomato pretzels. Things, yeah, huge things like that. We wouldn't have cut our fringes <laughs> twice um, just after we'd grown them out. And, um, yeah, so many things that we would change, big, big and small. <laughs> Absolutely. I was reflecting myself when I was reading the book and I, you know, I thought about certain relationships I'd been in and I thought, oh, you know, that turned out not to be so great. Maybe I would never have started it in the first place if I'd known. But much like you said, Mish, there actually isn't much I would change, even the stuff that didn't turn out right. Mm. But this idea, and I don't know if this is a spoiler, if it is, we can cut it out. But the idea (laughs) of her going and finding this very famous actor before he was a very famous actor and trying to weasel her way into his path was very, very clever and inspired. And I I might think about doing something like that. I think that's something that we had thought, well, yeah, I thought about a lot, um, I guess, not seriously, but yeah, imagine if I met that person before they were famous or imagine if I had the opportunity (laughs) just to, to speak to these people before they before they became so unattainable, not in even a romantic way, but just sort of getting to know them pre-fame, I think sort of fascinated us, which which um, was a catalyst to, to write the story. Yeah. Have you guys seen that? Have you guys seen that movie Yesterday? It's a, um, yeah, yeah. The, the, Beatles, yeah. the Beatles movie where, yeah. you know, again, that's magic realism where you sort of like, they don't really over-explain how it all happens, but it just happens. And, yeah. you know, he's releasing all these Beatles songs because the Beatles don't exist anymore. So, I mean, you could also do something like that, couldn't you? You could be like, I need to go before the time that Taylor Swift had made, you know, Lover, <laughs> exactly. whatever album, and just write all the songs down. Love that. Very clever. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the, we, talk, we spoke about the way that you guys write, but what does like an everyday writing day look like for you guys like how do you sort of set up your days and and how many hours would you sit down and write whether it's a day or a week what does the structure look like I think one of the biggest juggles is that because we have another we both work um, full-time the biggest juggle is time like that's our hardest thing to to get to which we know a lot of writers struggle with um so it's 
sort of a bit more ad hoc. I think I spend a lot of my writing times more on the weekends. I used to do a lot of stuff on the evening after school, but I don't have that stamina anymore. Yeah. So it's a lot of weekends. Um, thankfully, um, this year with our, our publishers have been amazing with their sort of scheduling and a lot of the big editing um, uh, timelines have fallen during school holidays, which is amazing. So I would spend pretty much two weeks from, oh, God, all day, <laughs> 10 hours a day just editing um, and writing sort of for two, two weeks since. Um, so I find that really helpful. I think I'm somebody who sort of needs to sit down and have a solid few hours to be able to work through mm. Um but when, when I don't have the luxury of time, it's, it's a lot more ad hoc. It's wherever I can um, grab, a, grab an hour or two um, and also depends on when Ali and I can both sort of meet up our schedules to chat things through and have some big like um, editing chats and plot map chats. Yeah, and poor Mish, she, um, she, teachers need holidays and I feel like as soon as the holidays, <laughs> the second the holidays start, she's writing nine till five, probably nine till nine, um, doing edits and then she comes, yeah, I feel like everyone's saying how lucky she is that she gets holidays, but she is not She is not at breaking during the holidays. <laughs> no. Do you guys um, set deadlines for each other or like deadlines that you're both working towards? Yeah, so the first... Um, the first um, book, we had this manic schedule that I remember I put together being like, we have to write 10,000 words each every five days or something like that. Um, and and um, because we had such a short deadline, it was a really short turnaround. And we also had no clue how long writing actually took. And I think we were very naive or we had this romantic vision that we could write a book mm. in a couple of months. Um, so we, we had a very tight schedule and we still do sort of have a deadline and schedule and we try and make sure that just because it doesn't make sense if if I write 10 chapters, one which has only written one or vice versa, we sort of have to make sure that we're writing the same at the same pace. Otherwise, half the book is written and you haven't even touched it so we we do have schedules that we have to make sure we we hit um but yeah we now do it completely in our own time and especially yeah with working full time and then with me having when I read this book with a baby so I was writing at very obscure hours at night time while I was breastfeeding and stuff like that so um, so um yeah it was uh, we we had we had deadlines that we had to hit but not not time structures yeah I think it does really help having a co-writer though because you're very accountable. I don't want to let Ali totally. down. Like she's the main person that I want to make sure I'm I'm doing all the right things by. So um, I think we've it's definitely become more fluid. And now rather than sort of saying, okay, you write chapter five, seven, and nine, um, sometimes we'll just sort of pick up where the manuscript has, has finished up and we try to get to the end of a chapter that one of us have written. But sometimes I just don't even know how to finish a chapter and I might just say Ali can you please finish this I, I'm lost um so we're very lucky to have have each other to keep each other accountable and have the other person to finish our sentences as well yeah, I love that the the accountability especially I, I I have to work to deadlines and my publisher knows now the shorter the deadline the better the work because if she gives me a long <laughs> deadline I dilly dally over it but it's that accountability that I need. So I imagine having a co a co-author or a co-writer would just be, yeah, would be fab in that sense. All of your books uh, fall in the genre, I guess, of romantic comedy. Do you guys have like what are some of your favorite rom-coms 
that inspire you for these books? And we've both sort of just discovered um, an author called Mary McFarlane, who's a British author who writes rom-coms and she's spectacular. Um, and yeah, one of my favourite books that I read last year was called Last Night um, that she wrote. She's got a new one coming out soon. Beth O'Leary, who wrote The Flat Share oh, and a few others. Beth yeah, she's uh, great. Um, her Page Tune is another one. Um, Christina Lauren, who is another co-author. They are Christina and Lauren, two separate people, but they're their their pen name is Christina Lauren. Stop it! Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so they're another co-author. They're a huge inspiration to us oh, because there's not many co-authors who write rom-coms. In fact, they're the only other ones we know. So yeah, Christina so. Lauren, that's the soulmate equation, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my so god, that was two authors. It's two authors, Christina oh, and Lauren. Know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes okay well these are all great these were all great I I love I love all of those I am a big rom-com reader um I think one of my favorites this year well the road trip Beth O'Leary yeah um but Mm. also really random one the unhoneymooners have you read that is that Christina Lauren as well maybe maybe that is is Christina Lauren Yes. yeah oh god I loved that book yeah, I haven't read it, but it's on my so my to be read list. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. There's also a um, oh, I guess it's sort of rom com. Um, Aussie writer. It was her debut novel this year. Rosie Hartley, I think. Maggie's going nowhere. Oh, yeah, I've got it on my uh, bookshelf that I read it's it. Also on my yeah. to be read list. <laughs> it's yeah. great. It's great. Yeah, I do kind of want to shift over to um, reading and what you guys love to read. I have some rapid fire book questions that I ask all the authors. Um, Nobody answers them rapidly, so don't freak out. And there's two (laughs) of you and I want to hear both of your answers. So we'll do this nice and slow. It's going to be great. Great. Okay, so first question is, do you prefer to read fiction or nonfiction? I would say I'm pretty fiction through, through and through, but I have just started dabbling a little bit more in nonfiction, but I would say if I had to choose one, fiction. I'm definitely fiction. I yeah. barely read nonfiction. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's funny. I, I write nonfiction, never read it, hate yeah. it. I'm all about fiction. Yeah, boring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, next question. What was your favourite book growing up? I can't, it's, it's, I mean, it's not very creative, but the Harry Potter series, I mean, we grew up, we were growing up as the books were coming out live. So they are just intrinsically a part of uh, our childhood. So yeah, I can't ignore Harry Potter. Yeah. And mine is Tomorrow When the War Began by John Marsden. Homer was my absolute crush from the, that series. And <laughs> I just loved it. I always imagined myself whenever I went to the country, I imagined myself being in Tomorrow When the War Began and saving the world. So- <laughs> totally. Do you know what? Until you guys mentioned Tomorrow When the War Began earlier in the episode, I totally forgotten about it. And mm. I ask these questions all the time. And um, we always talk, people always name a book series. So whether it's like, an Enid Blyton series or mine mine is always mm. like Nancy Drew or Harry Potter yeah. or whatever it might be. Mm. But Tomorrow When the War Began. Oh, such a classic. Such a classic. Yeah. I'd love to read those again, actually. That would be great. Yeah. I wonder whether they hold up because I remember them being spectacular. So, yeah, I'd love to read them. I started reading as a grown-up. There's like seven in the series. And I, in my mid-20s, I started reading, I think, from like three onwards. And they definitely Really? Wow. Highly mm. recommend. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give it another <laughs> crack. Um, 
Was there a book that changed your life? Oh, gosh, there are so many that have shifted who we are, I guess, as people. And one that's more recent, I guess, that's nonfiction is Glennon Doyle's Untamed. Mm. That just, um, yeah, I think maybe the second nonfiction book that I've read that wasn't for university um, in in the last little while. And that's pretty groundbreaking. Just, yeah, shakes you up in all the good ways. That was a brilliant book. And mine is probably um, something that a book that sort of cemented mine and Mish's adult reading friendship, which is The Bronze Horseman by Paulina Simon. Just because it is the best book I've ever written. And when I read it, I sort of felt it. I was like, I have to. I have to do this. I have to write stories. Even though our book is not historical fiction, it's completely different, but it sort of inspired <laughs> me to be a writer, but also mm. just made me realise how much I bloody love reading. It was just, I completely, I was, we were obsessed with it and we analysed it to the nth degree and we went to see Paulina um, speak. I, when I, I went to America and I remember emailing her saying, <gasps> We have to meet. I have to meet you. And I went to Russia and went off. And I um I I left it. I sneaked off a walking tour so I could take a photo with the bronze horseman statue. And just it was oh basically my, my it was my Hugo Hurst from the book. So yeah. I, I love I loved it. So yeah, I think it did change my life. Yeah, it's funny when I asked that question, Ali. You were nodding like you knew that Bronze Horseman was your answer. Yeah. You're like, yeah, it was definitely changed. Where Mish was a little bit like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to answer this one. But I knew you have a good one because I could tell the minute it came out that you were like, yeah, yeah. changed my life. I'm the Bronze Horseman fangirl through yeah. and through. Is there, um, is there a book that you buy other people that you give as a gift? So I have started to, I'm very lucky, I've got lots of little babies that keep popping up in my world and um, I always buy them Under the Love Umbrella by Davina Bell, who is just the most extraordinary children's author and her books are just pure magic. So I love, I love gifting that to my friends and their new babies. This is very unoriginal, but I always gift the bronze horseman because, <laughs> because I wanted to change people's lives. Yeah, no, it's a good like one. Like yeah. Yeah. I honestly think it changed my life as well. There was something about, I was talking to another author on here the other day about it. It's the, like, it was the first book I read where I really kind of got the sexy scenes. I was like, ah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is how you write a sexy scene. <laughs> Pauline yes. nailed it. I think that we always revert back so to that true. when we have to write the sexy scenes, which are the hardest to write because <laughs> yes. they're so awkward. But, yeah, we always revert back to We need it to be bronze horseman standard. Do, is one <laughs> of you better at writing the sexy scenes than the other? I think Ali, Ali likes, <laughs> like, good romance. Like, I think I'm more sort of a practical-minded <laughs> person in the, in the writing relationship. So I feel like Ali goes pretty gung-ho on the, on the sexy scenes. It's really awkward writing <laughs> sexy scenes when your best friend is really yeah. <laughs> reading them and editing them. I have to say, I can imagine. They're, they're hard. They're hard work. We'll usually get to the sexy scene and then leave a little note being like, this part. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like we're just going through, we have to either really pull it back. I, Mitch is usually telling me to pull it back and I'm usually telling her to add more to it. So <laughs> we have to sort of find a nice balance. I love that. I love that. It'd be, you know, I think that's probably the better outcome than both of you being, you know, full gun yeah. ho with it. Definitely. Someone's got yeah. to rein it back in. What was your favourite book that you read this year? So in 2021. Uh, I'm late to the party, but where the crawdad thing, I really put it off because everyone says it's a slow start, um, which it yep. is. 
but very much worth persevering. And yeah, I was just completely, once I got into it, completely engrossed. Just the writing is oh, just lyrical and the story is amazing. Yeah. So I'm glad I finally got there. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful book. And and you, Ali? Um, I'm planning to read that over the summer holidays, by oh, the way. And, <laughs> and I'm also really enjoying that, Mish, you're going first by chance, so I can think about that. <laughs> but, um, I reckon you uh, go first. No, <laughs> but my favourite book of the year is um, that I've read. I actually, because I had a baby, it was so hard to read, but my I haven't read that many, but I did read um, Heartsick by Jessie Stevens, mm. um, which I loved. And it's nonfiction, but Rishni yes. has a fiction book. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But one of the few nonfiction books that I read and it was one and it was my favorite of the year yeah that is a fantastic book um what what are you guys currently reading I am reading <laughs> Love and Virtue by um Diana Reed. yeah beautiful I haven't gotten to Love and Virtue yet it's sitting on my nightstand but I'm excited are you enjoying it yes I, I'm just started, but yeah, I am really enjoying it. It's brilliant so far, and it also has such rave reviews. And I think it is living up to the hype, which is good. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and another Aussie author debut author, which is amazing. Yeah, and I've literally just opened sort of the cover of um, Jackie Byron's Happy Hour. We actually got to meet her last night. We were talking at an event for Campwell Dimmix, and she's also published by Alan and Unwin, and um, she was speaking about what her book was and I was immediately sold so I can't tell you too much about it because I've only read about a couple of pages but um so far so good. She was a brilliant speaker as well yeah I think it would she's oh, yeah so it'll be a great book. Yeah fantastic and then the next question is what's next on the reading list like is there something that you've heard hype about or that's been spoken about or perhaps is sitting there waiting for you? Um so where the crawdancing but also um I just also yeah. bought Paper Palace. <gasps> Um, oh, which, it's you read so, it? yes. I would read Paper Palace before Where the Crawdads Sing. Okay, yes. Is, mm. is it a generational fiction? Uh, or not? Oh, okay, no. Like sort of, but not, okay. I wouldn't classify it as that. Okay. I yeah. am very excited. I've heard it's such very good, good about it. So my next read, I'm waiting for Ali to finish Love and Virtue. Oh, okay. And then I'm diving <laughs> in. I'm so, <laughs> so excited for it. I've yeah, had it recommended a few few times around. So that's that's what's on my list. Yeah, beautiful. And what's what's next for you guys? I mean, Fancy Meeting You here has just come out. Um, but is there another book in the wings? So once we finish, so we're doing a bit of promo now for Fancy Meeting You here, and then we will discuss the fourth book, um, which we are planning to discuss at the start of next year. Um we uh yeah we've sort of thrown around a few very loose ideas we have a title but we, we have no ideas for the actual book yet but we just oh, came up with the title that. while we're writing this one yeah, that's yeah. I I suggested to Mish um that we write a book about someone um uh getting <laughs> falling in love while they're having a COVID test but it was it was shut down <laughs> but but yeah the more you bring it up the more I'm told on this story I have to say um yeah but and we're also um writing uh, the screenplay for the book ninja our first book yes um, I heard yeah. some whispers so yes that there is a film adaptation of it so yes it's been optioned for film and we are currently writing the screenplay which is a whole which is a whole learning experience um because we've never written a screenplay before but we were lucky that 
yeah, the people that optioned it were amazing and they wanted us to write it. So, um, yeah, we're doing it now and, and learning how to write a screenplay, which, which is what, um, uh, Evie in the book does. She writes yeah. a screenplay. So we, we put that in so we could learn on the go with Evie, our main <laughs> character about how, how to write a screenplay. I love that. Is it, is, <laughs> I don't know if you can tell me these details. So if you can't, you don't have to, but is it an Australian film production yes so yeah it's Australian film production um yeah which oh fantastic oh I love that I love that well I can't wait to see what comes of that that's fantastic um thank you so much for talking wordy to me today guys this has been fun thank you so much for having us we've loved it thank you I feel like I need to go and find myself a a co-writer to keep me accountable (laughs) (laughs) it's lots of fun Highly yeah, recommend. it's awesome. And the book keeps getting written, even yes. when you're on a holiday or when Ali went went into labour. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I love that. Well, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this chat with Ali and Michelle and you'd like to share it with your bookworm friends, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. You can tag me at Jordana Levine. And Ali and Michelle have a combined Instagram account and the handle is at... Ali and Michelle. In this week's bonus episode, which drops on Friday, I'm exploring my favorite rom-com books. How am I going to cut it down to just three? I might have to do a few more than I usually do. Um, We mentioned a bunch in this episode, but I'm going to find a few more to dive a little deeper into. Until then, I'm Jordana Levine, and you've been listening to Talk Worthy to Me.